This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Friday, September the 22nd, 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show, the shortlist for the Writers' Trust Prize for nonfiction has been released. Karen McKay from the Center for Equitable Library Access describes the five titles made the cut. Plus... Britney Spears' upcoming memoir is sure to stir up some nostalgia. Entertainment reporter Amanda Chikarchi gives you the scoop. But the hour begins with the regional news update. Starting in British Columbia, an investigation into unmarked graves and missing children by British Columbia's Stolo Nation has uncovered at least 158 deaths. John Kennedy files this report. Researchers with the nation say archival documents from three residential schools and a First Nation hospital show most of the children reportedly died of disease, some of accidents, while others are listed as death cause unknown. The documents came from St. Mary's Residential School, the Coca-Lazita Industrial Institute, and the Coca-Lazita Hospital, and the All Hallows School in Yale, B.C. Researcher Amber Kostuchenko says they are still gathering information and estimate they have half of the 70,000 documents they need to account for what happened to their relatives in the institutions. John Kennedy, the Canadian Press. Over to the prairies, following up on a story that I shared with you yesterday, the Alberta government has released a report about the prospects of dropping the Canada Pension Plan for their own provincial plan. Bill Graveland has the numbers. A third-party report calculates that if Alberta gave the required three-year notice to quit CPP next year, it would be entitled to $334 billion, or about 53% of the National Pension Plan's pool by 2027. Alberta would be the first province to quit the plan since Quebec never joined when it was set up in 1965. Finance Minister Nate Horner says the province has no choice but to let residents choose whether to go it alone with an Alberta pension plan. Bill Graveland, the Canadian Press, Calgary. Sorry, Bill, I stepped on you there. I do that all the time to reporters when you pause before you say where you're reporting from. I want to share some reaction from opposition leader Rachel Notley because Notley's not convinced by the numbers in the report. Today, Danielle Smith took the first step in her long-term plan to steal your pension. She did it by releasing a report riddled with fake numbers. And she now plans to spend your money campaigning to convince you it's a good idea. Notley thinks any attempt to leave the CPP is not good for Alberta in the long run. Every province takes these matters very, very seriously, and they understand uh, the importance of CPP. And uh, to be very clear, uh, Alberta is not just picking a fight with Ottawa. They are picking a fight with all Canadians. So again, the numbers in this report, uh, you need some pretty good mathematics to truly understand what proportion of the CPP and economic wealth belongs to the province of Alberta. But just a little piece of perspective here. 
The population of Alberta is about 4.3 million people. Those are based on 2019 uh, census numbers, about 4.3 million people. The population of Canada is now well over 37 million people. So certainly I'm empathetic to understanding the position of Alberta saying the energy industry is a driver of the economy. Hey, fair, but it's people who contribute to the CPP. So when there's like 18 million people in the Windsor-Quebec City corridor, you can't just say that because we generated some economic activity in Western Canada that we then get to take half the stuff. I, uh, it's an interesting story, though, and I was delighted watching the press conference in real time yesterday. We are going to leave your plan, but we'll only leave your plan if you give us 53% of the stuff. Ah, fun times. Over to Ontario. Ontario Premier Doug Ford is backtracking on his plan to build housing in protected green space. The policy was sideswiped by allegations of political corruption. Ford says... His heart was in the right place. The intention was right. We need to build homes. There's now going to be 150,000 people that will not have a roof over their heads, but we're going to continue to build in areas that we can build on. Speaking of goofy math, there are now 150,000 people who will not have a roof over their heads as if saying you can't build in the green space demolished people's houses. You can keep building those houses. There's places you can do it. You didn't make 150,000 people homeless by not going through with your scheme. By the way, Ford gave himself a pat on the back for reversing course on the plan. And leadership shows if you make a mistake, you come out and admit it. You tell the people what you're going to do to correct it and make sure that happens. And that's what I've done. That's what I've shown when I've made other mistakes. And I'm the first to admit that I'm not perfect. Again, just a reminder about the alleged corruption here. A report by the Provincial Auditor General and a report by the Integrity Commissioner showed that developers with ties to the Housing Ministry may have been given inside information on what land was going to be opened for development, so they bought it. The developers would have profited roughly $8.3 billion due to the government policy. So yes, give yourself a pat on the back for doing such great leadership, for saying, ooh, corruption is bad. Congratulations. That's your look at the regional news. I'm full of beans. Let's bring in Brock Richardson for some sports chatting. I'm getting myself in trouble here talking about politics. So let's get to the area of sports where I never get in trouble for sharing my hot takes. There's uh, trouble in Toronto Maple Leaf land. The team wants William Nylander, their star forward, to start the year by playing center, a position he's rarely to have ever played in the NHL. But Brock, you are a noted hater of William Nylander, much like the rest of the mainstream Toronto sports media. You think, hey, be a team player, Willie. Yeah, uh, I am a Willie Nylander hater. I'm okay with that. I accept that title. I don't know what it is. I just don't like him. And for me, it's very simple. You need to be a team player. You need to at least give it an effort. I don't disagree that if you're 
born as a winger, maybe you're used to doing that and it's uncomfortable. Sure, but at least give it a try instead of coming to the media and saying, yeah, I'll give it a try, but uh, it won't last long because I'm a born winger. Uh, okay, but we haven't even done anything towards this. So let's give this a try before we, you know, sail the ship and say it's not going to work. I have uh, two scenarios, Dave, in my career where things didn't go the way that I particularly wanted them to go. Um, when you play uh, in team in bocce, you play three on three. And so each of you are in one of three boxes, which is uh, two meters wide by one and a half meters long. And you are in three different boxes for each of your team. And sometimes coaches can move you around from a box that you would normally be in to another box where you're not necessarily going to be in. And yeah, that's uncomfortable because different angles, different spaces makes the perception of courts and, and playing surfaces different. And yes, it can take a while to get adjusted to. And sometimes as athletes, we get stuck in our, our minds of like, we have to do this because this is our normal well, sometimes coaches just want to try something and do something different. And I have to say, in the adjustments that I made, I wasn't necessarily the easiest athlete to convince those adjustments to. But after all, you got to just leave it to your coaches and say, I'll give this a try and see where this goes. The second thing that was tough for me in my career was when we went to China for the second time after the uh, Paralympic Games and we went to World Championships and I would... I was brought on this team to do like a leadership role. I didn't play a lot during this event. It wasn't the role that I wanted, but here we are. And it was either go represent your country or don't. And so I kind of said, okay, I'd rather go represent my country. And in this case with William Nylander, do you want to play hockey for the Maple Leafs? Do you not? What do you want to do? And I guess this is where well, we want to go for now. It's pretty clear he doesn't, Brock. Like the, the, What I see this as is a team who's really cranky that contract negotiations are going badly and once again, he doesn't want to take a pay cut so Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and John Tavares can take all the money and now going into a contract season when he's a free agent next summer, they're going to put him in a position not to succeed and lower his his value. If I'm Willem Nylander, I'm publicly demanding a trade today. I'm done with the way this incompetent franchise has handled my career and undercut me at every corner. The Toronto Maple Leafs, Brock, I would be very concerned if I was a Leafs fan today because they're about to chase this guy out of town or get this guy to check out before the season even starts. This strikes me as big time trouble for the Toronto Maple Leafs to get into such a public spat with a star player on the first day of training camp. Yeah, I don't. I don't disagree. I I think it's uh, it is poison to to get into a public spat, and I think both places need to sort of give and take a little bit and negotiate with each other, hear both sides, and I don't think that's being done. I think the the brasses of the Maple Leafs are saying this is what we're gonna do, and they're not hearing William Nylander. And when when you don't hear an athlete, whether I like him or I don't it doesn't matter when you're not hearing an athlete and it doesn't feel like a two-way street it can be an ugly ugly bloodbath and 82 games in a season is a long season if you're at odds with your team before yeah. that 82 yeah. game clock even starts ticking period
Yeah, it's uh, it's it's quite the game going on. And if I was the Toronto Maple Leafs, I would be trying to limit the amount of drama around this team, considering what the expectations are relative to the outcomes uh, that have existed for the franchise for the last, oh, I don't know, 55 years. Uh, Brock, let's go to the weekend look ahead. It's a great weekend in sports. You should see how many half-eaten bags of chips are on my kitchen counter just waiting for me, <laughs> just waiting for me to sit down all weekend in my sweatpants and just shut having him in my mouth. Brock, what's on your radar in your sports weekend look ahead? So there is a whole bunch. Uh, let's start with the uh, Toronto Blue Jays and Tampa Bay Rays. That will be a pretty critical series. Huge. They can, re Huge. They can re really only lose, uh, you know, five or maybe six games in the next stretch. They've already lost one to the New York Yankees, so they need to take care of business. They're up uh, tough against the Tampa Bay Rays because it's in the trop. That's number one. Number two... Brock, Brock, let me, Brock, let me pause you. Let me pause you. You and I were talking yesterday about this notion of playing spoiler, right? Where teams who are out of the playoffs mathematically are potentially trying to take out a team. There's something a little bit different with this Toronto and Tampa Bay series because the Tampa Bay Rays are still only a game or two back from the division lead in the AL East, which could make their playoff lives so much easier. So don't be fooled by the fact that Tampa Bay has clinched a playoff spot and maybe they're free and clear here and taking it easy on the Blue Jays this weekend. They've got a ton to play for. They could win the AL East, avoid some of those wonky wild card games and really put themselves in a position into the playoffs in a top tier, a top tier way. This is a dangerous, dangerous series for the Toronto Blue Jays. One of, one of the things that came up in one of the things I was watching yesterday afternoon was the fact that it is so critical to win divisions because you get to set up your pitching staff yes. the way that you want to. If you're not in that position, you're at the mercy of, well, we got to play for the now as opposed to the future. And that can really damage the team coming into that, you know, uh, next round series because they're not going to be set up as that home team just sitting there waiting mm -hmm. for them. So, yeah, mm -hmm. that, that is a good point there as well that, that this series is not done and dusted and for me like i said the magic number for toronto they they've got to win you know seven of these of these games six or seven of them to to make it yeah, happen yeah. for them and it's going to get tough because then then they do the reverse and they play the yankees and tampa bay at home yeah it's the same yeah. two teams you're playing over and over again to end the year so what's that's what's not, what's number two on your list that's number two and then of course you got the seattle mariners and the Texas Rangers, who are playing each other in the first of seven games that will be coinciding over the last number of days over the season. So you're going to get seven wins and seven losses from one of those teams, obviously. Um, and so this is helpful for the Toronto Blue Jays. But because of that, you need to keep afloat in that regard as well. If we're looking into football, I am looking at these Chicago Bears and Kansas City Chiefs. Yuck. I'd be interested to see Yuck. what that game will be. Yuck. Why on earth would you want to watch that football game? Because that is the only one that's on in my region, apparently. Oh, my God. On <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> oh, man. You are being limited by big cable, Brock. That is a tough break for you. The Bears <laughs> the Bears have been putrid to watch this year. In fact, in fact, uh, Alex Smythe is a noted Chicago Bears fan. I know I'm putting the control room in a tough spot here to try and link up Alex so quick and make sure the audio is working. But uh, I would love to get Alex's thoughts here two weeks into the season about how yucky and gross his team 
team has been. Guys, do we have Alex on the line? Can we bring him in here? Can we throw him on screen? Alex Smythe, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm putting a big yuck on your team. They have been disgusting to watch through two weeks of the season. Oh, that's only half of it, Dave. Well, the product on the field is only half of it. This year has been the one of the weirdest, disastrous weeks in Chicago Bears for, for at least a season. I mean, we, we have uh, controversies every single year. But, I mean, the fact that we had our defensive coordinator resign, but there were weird allegations going around on the manner of it. He just kind of resigned midweek, so we don't have a defensive coordinator. Our quarterback, there was a lot of pushback on the fact <laughs> he was calling coaching as yeah. a reason for him playing slow. I agree with Brock, though. There, this has the, the <laughs> curiosity factor. What is going to happen? Because it's also a Matt Nagy revenge game. Our former head coach is now the very much beloved coordinator, uh, offensive coordinator of Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes loves him. The Chiefs love him. The Bears fan hate him. There's a lot of storylines that this oh. could be a, a, a good game to hate watch. Oh, I'm certainly going to watch it. I don't expect anything good to happen in a game for the Bears, but yes, they have been terrible at this point. We're already looking into the offseason. That's never a good sign. Going I, I cannot believe you guys are trying to sell me on watching the Bears game on Sunday afternoon. Come on. I mean, listen, I've watched my Miami Dolphins stink for 20 years every Sunday. I know this pain, but come on, guys. You're killing listen, me. You're killing David. me. If if Chicago wins, I'm coming on and I'm oh, man. on Monday morning and I'm going to tell you you should have watched it. I'm going to go with it. <laughs> I will eat all the crow. I will eat a literal crow on Monday on the air if Chicago wins or at least some kind of bird, maybe a chicken, a turkey. We'll eat something <laughs> yeah. delicious. Uh, guys, I, we're almost we're actually over time here, but I want to put one more thing on your radar here, Brock. I'm always talking to you about American college football. This you and I have not talked at all about Deion Sanders, former NFL Hall of Fame. Uh, defensive back, special teams specialist, Hall of Famer, incredible football player. He became the head coach at the University of Colorado this year, a team that won one game last season. Colorado has become the epicenter of the sport. They've been beating up on sort of cupcake competition. But Brock, let me throw some TV ratings at you. Last Saturday night, in North America, the Colorado-Colorado State game that started at 10.30 p.m. Eastern time peaked at 9.8 million viewers. On a Saturday night, that would have made it the second most watched college football game the entirety of last year. The game ended at 2.30 in the morning, 2.30 a.m. Eastern time, Colorado-Colorado State in double overtime. What do you think the audience was at 2.30 a.m. Eastern time? Probably much the same as what you said it was to start with. Yeah, it was a little bit lower. It was a little bit lower. 8.2 million people. But 8.2 million people stayed up till 2.30 in the morning on the East Coast to watch a football game last night because Deion Sanders, with style and charisma and a fascinating personality, has captured the attention of football fans across North America and the world. And the Colorado Buffaloes have become a massive story but I'm going to put my name on this one. I think that comes to an end tomorrow afternoon at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time when they clash with the Oregon Ducks, one of the sneaky powerhouses in all of college football. I think they're finally going to put a little bit of a stain on Coach Prime, but Brock, on the way into the weekend, I wanted to make sure that I acknowledged that Coach Prime is a revolution that is only just beginning. Brock, have an awesome weekend. Talk to you on Monday. 
You will indeed. You as well. That is Brock Richardson at the AMI Sports Desk. Coming up after the break, Amanda Shikarchi has the entertainment report. Britney Spears' upcoming memoir is sure to stir up a little bit of nostalgia with a special event. Maybe there's going to be a sing-along, maybe not. You'll find out. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Having a lot of fun on a Friday. Thank you for being a part of the show. Wherever you are in listener land or the viewer vortex, Amanda Strakarchi is standing by with the entertainment report. But first, Alex Smythe has the weather story. Alex, things are changing up a little bit on the West Coast. Uh, yeah, Dave, I, I don't want to rain on your parade, but... The West Coast is uh, should prepare itself because there's a lot of moisture heading its way. So they've been experiencing, excuse me, a ton of dry conditions this month uh, so far, but that's going to change starting late this weekend into next week. A dip in the jet stream will lead to an atmospheric river coming off of the Pacific. What does that mean? It means it's going to be bringing tons of rain to the province and all throughout the province. So, so far... Here's, here are some numbers. For Vancouver this month, they've seen just 9.8 millimeters of rain for all of September. The average for September for uh, Vancouver is 60 millimeters. Well, that's going to change because coastal areas of the province are going to be expecting to see somewhere between 50 and 100 millimeters of rain during this prolonged system. That number doubles as you get into higher elevations, upwards of 200 millimeters of precipitation in the mountains. So the series of moisture patterns will help the area get much needed moisture. But as people are aware, when you have that amount of rain and moisture in such a uh, short period of time, especially after prolonged dry periods, there are concerns of things like flash flooding and other severe weather yeah, conditions. Yeah, so Alex, it's, Alex, it's important. I was in uh, Vancouver during the 2021 atmospheric river that caused like substantial flooding mm -hmm. in the lower mainland. Of farms washed out, roads washed out. Like it was a crisis. And because the drought conditions have been as bad as they've been over the course of the last couple of months, there's actually quite a bit of danger when it comes to these atmospheric rivers. So this sort of goes beyond umbrellas or raincoats. This is sort of. Uh, one of those emergency preparedness moments. Not, not that I'm trying to fear monger or ring the bell or anything this morning, but it is something to be extra, extra mindful of. Yeah, and it, it will really come down to how much moisture the different communities are getting. As I say, you know, there is a range between 50 and 100 millimeters for the coastal areas, more in the mountains. It, it's really going to depend on the community by community. But Taking caution, being mindful if you're around near waterways and other rivers, streams, things like that, where flooding may occur, and just being mindful of flash flooding, mudslides, and those types of yeah. environmental uh, conditions are really important during this next oh, week. Oh, big time. Easy. Big time. Alex, thank you for this. I'll talk to you soon as part of the roundtable conversation. In one minute, Amanda Shikarchi stops by with the entertainment report all about Britney Spears. But first, Microsoft is launching some new AI tools. Mike Dubusky tells you about them in Tech Trends. 
we're able to rid ourselves of just this drudgery of sometimes this work. Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella announcing what he thinks is the next step in integrating artificial intelligence into our digital lives. Today, we're announcing Copilot, our vision for everyday AI companion for you. Consumer Chief Marketing Officer Yusuf Mehdi. What we've done over the last year, you know, we've shipped a lot of great AI capabilities for coding, for, you know, creation, um, for surfing the web. Now we've brought them all together into one simple, easy uh, experience that's called Copilot. It's everywhere. Microsoft says the new Copilot will show up in Windows, Office, and its Edge browser. The company says its AI can create new art in Paint, sort through your inbox, and help you respond to emails with Tech Trends. I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. Thank you very much, Mike. All over that AI beats. Amanda Shikarchi, in the Entertainment Report, you're going to hit me, baby, one more time, and you're going to, oops, I do it again in just a moment with a story about Britney Spears. But before you do that, you do have an update on the Dancing with the Stars story that you shared earlier in the week. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, so I do have an update. Celebrity Matt Walsh dropped out due to the ongoing actors and writers strike. So as a result, they are planning to postpone the premiere. Okay, so Dancing with the Stars uh, thought they were doing a little sneaky workaround from the writers and actors strike, and people said, ah, ah, ah. This has happened a couple times now in the world of entertainment. It happened to Bill Maher when he wanted to bring his show back. It happened to Drew Barrymore when she wanted to bring her show back. There's no working around a union that is feeling pretty solid right now. Okay, Amanda, hit me with the Britney Spears story. Yes, I'm really excited about this one. Britney Spears is re-releasing her 2002 film Crossroads. This event is tied to the this event is tied to the October 24th release of her memoir The Woman in Me. The film follows three friends who reconnect on a family road trip or on a country road trip. The film also will include a bonus sing-along. <laughs> Crossroads will only be available in theaters October 23rd and 25th. The tickets for the screenings go on sale September 28th at 9 a.m. Eastern. <laughs> Amanda, I'm laughing because Crossroads might have been one of the worst movies ever made. You can pretty much tie the downfall of Britney Spears' career to right around the time Crossroads was released. It was so bad. But I do love this idea of nostalgia, right? The re-release, the sing-along, because I do like Britney's music. But this movie, I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is the way Britney wants to put herself back in the zeitgeist. Yeah, I haven't seen the movie, but I did read Oh, don't, that. don't. Like, it's bad. It oh, boy. Oh, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I it read that it did well in the box office, but not the best reviews. But how do you feel about artists using movie theater events to as a marketing tool to oh, promote their work? Oh, amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. I, I, I think Andrika Delanerol in the email chain that we were on this morning, our senior producer, uh, noted that there's going to be these Taylor Swift uh, movie screenings in a couple of months here. I think it's actually next month at Cineplex they're going to be doing them, where it's essentially performances from the Eras tour on the big screen with the surround sound. Amanda, I love it. I love it. In fact, I wish they would do more concerts available in 
cinemas on big screens like that. I think that would be amazing, especially because there's so many theaters now where you can uh, where you can buy an adult beverage. You can sit in the comfy seat. Like, it, like I actually love this idea. I just wish it wasn't one of the worst movies ever made. I used to work at a video store, and that and I worked there when Crossroads got released on VHS and DVD. Amanda, I don't think a single person rented it, like the entire time I worked there. Maybe I'm being a little facetious with you, but it was not a top renter. I think we got four or five or six copies of it on its opening uh, release week, and I think maybe one or two got rented all week, and my owner was livid. He's like, why'd I buy all these Britney Spears movies? Uh, yeah, it was it was a bad news situation. Uh, what do you think? You know, movie theater, would you uh, go watch a little Britney Spears Crossroads or maybe a Taylor Swift concert at the old Cineplex Odeon? I think it's really great. I think I definitely would watch the films. I, as you said, maybe not the best film, but the nostalgia factor for sure. And definitely about the Taylor Swift, especially because I did not manage to snag tickets to the show. <laughs> so I guess the movie is the next best option. There better be a lot of screenings of that, by the way, because I want to go. I want to go watch that yeah. screening of that Taylor Swift thing. But if I have to compete with you Swifties for tickets, I'm going to be in deep trouble. Uh, Amanda. What is your number one favorite Britney Spears song? I think it's One More Time. Oh, I yeah. love that one. Um, also, Ed Sheeran did a really good cover to that song that I'm, like, obsessed with. <laughs> yeah, Baby One More Time. I mean, that, that's the song that put Britney on the map. That was a wild music video. I'm a big fan of a song called Toxic, which was... Oh, I uh, love that one. Yeah, which I love. This the way they use the strings and the driving beat, and it was produced by... My guy, Pharrell Williams. So I'm always going to give love to my guy, Pharrell Williams. Amanda, hey, have, an, that. so cool. Amanda <laughs> have an amazing weekend. I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Long weekend for Amanda Shikarchi. Have a good fast. Thank you. Have a good weekend, and I'll talk Tuesday. I will do my best to have a good weekend. I will be eating lots of chips. Coming up after the break, Alex Smythe has a question about royal visits. State visits to Canada. King Charles is on the prowl. Not quite going to uh, Canada just yet, but Alex is dreaming up a royal trip. Nazreen, Ramya, and I will maybe try to throw cold water on him. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Alex Smythe, you've got something for the roundtable here for Nazreen Rumya and myself, all about royal visits. Yeah, Dave. So uh, currently King Charles and Queen Camilla are in France uh, on a, a royal visit, and they've spent the past few days going through different uh, attractions and some of the biggest sites and, and whatnot that France has to offer. So Karen Thomas highlights a couple of the, the stops they made so far. Charles began the day at the French Senate in Paris, where he was welcomed by a wave of applause. The king made a speech in which he praised the special relationship between the two countries. Quite simply, the United Kingdom will always be one of the closest allies and best friends of France. Charles and Camilla also visited a flower market named after his mother Elizabeth, where the couple also stopped to greet the crowds. 
They also visited Saint-Denis, north of Paris, where Camilla and France's first lady played a quick round of table tennis. Finally, the king and French president Emmanuel Macron made an emotional stop in front of the fire-damaged Notre-Dame Cathedral. I'm Karen Chamas. So that report got me thinking if we were in charge here on the round table of oh, I love this. organizing a state visit, a royal visit for foreign dignitaries, whether it's uh, King Charles and Queen Camilla or, or other uh, royal members or, or uh, politicians, where would we take them on a tour of Canada? So, uh, Nisreen, let's start with you on this one. Where would you uh, try to bring state representative dignitaries on a tour of Canada? I mean, they can't miss Niagara Falls. We have the better side, so <laughs> it's it's a go-to, right? Okay. It's a go-to, so that has to be a must. Okay, must see. I like that. Niagara Falls, that, that's a, good, that's a good, good answer. Good answer, Nazreen. Good answer, <laughs> good answer. Call quality. Ramya, where are you taking a foreign dignitary? Yo, I'm not going to take these people to all the touristy places. They're going to stay in my backyard. I'm going to take them on trails and hikes and really make them work for being here. <laughs> <laughs> There's always... There's always a lot of like ulterior motives and I would treat them the way that I would treat one of my good friends, right? So you come here, you do the things that I like doing, um, going and eating at holes in the walls and getting stared at by paparazzi or whatever. But definitely it would have to be like a low key, you know, put in the grind kind of uh, trip. I don't think they'll be happy by the end of it, honestly. I am 100% taking them to one of my uh, old dive bars in Montreal, the Cabaret <laughs> the Cabaret Amazon. If you know, you know. Alex, where are you taking a foreign dignitary? Wow, okay. I, I'm going a completely different direction. I, I, Niagara Falls was on my list, uh, one of the stops I would have taken them. There, there's a number of different places throughout the country. I think, you know, if we want to look out east, maybe Lanzo Meadows, the old Viking settlement in Newfoundland, Labrador. Uh, if you kind of look to the center of the country, the Museum for uh, Human Rights in Winnipeg, Manitoba, a beautiful world-class mm -hmm. museum. If you look over to the west coast, maybe either a Haida Gwaii or potentially as a part of a, a new reflective uh, manner, maybe going to one of the residential schools out in the West Coast to, to have a bit more of a reflection of a bit of the darker and more serious history of Canada. There's lots wow. of different options. Oh, now, 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 now I feel terrible about the response yeah, that I gave. Such it was a too great snarky. tour guide. Uh, what about the Rockies? <laughs> what about Banff? Take them to Banff for like Jasper? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I haven't they're, even they're been there myself yet. Well, but Maybe that's, they take me there. Yeah, that's the excuse. Be like, hey, uh, exactly. hey, like we're, you're going to fund oh, that this. Is so true. Yeah, you're going to fund this operation. Okay, so <laughs> there was there was some fun and there was some earnest and there was some uh, real there. That was good. We ran the table pretty good. Okay, let's flip this thing around. I am making you a dignitary, Ramya. What country do you want to go visit as a dignitary? Oh, I want to go to the UK. I. I've been to like parts of Scotland. It was very much a blur. It really just visiting family. But if the um, if the monarchs are coming here, then I want to go back there and get like a proper proper tour, the posh side of life. Oh, I love right it. There. Okay, Duchess Abdel Majid, where would you like to represent <laughs> Canada as a dignitary? Ramya, I was gonna say Europe for sure. So I was gonna go to uh, Switzerland. Let's let's go with that. Mm. I really, really, really want to go to Switzerland. This is my excuse. 
Okay. Love the royal life. Yeah, good. These these are fantastic answers. Fantastic <laughs> answers. Alex, I just want to go have some fun maybe uh, on a beach in Thailand. Can I be a dignitary? Oh. Can Prince Dave just hang out on a beach in Thailand for a couple weeks? Can I do that? Am I allowed, Alex? Yeah, absolutely. Feel free. I, I was kind of thinking the same lines as you. I, I appreciate Nisreen's uh, Switzerland because, you know, it's very expensive. You don't have to worry about the bill. You get all the <laughs> great chocolate, beer, drinks, food, cheese. Thought of hey, that. One, one Thought more of that. <laughs> um, for me, I, I think I would I would be very curious about doing either like a French Polynesian nation, like in one of the oh, South yeah, Pacific yeah, islands yeah, yeah, or maybe yeah. a Caribbean island. Just something a bit small, a bit more low-key, a bit more distinctive and unique and really uh, let, like celebrate their culture with them. I, I think that would be a really fun, unique experience. So yeah, sign me up for Tahiti, Bora Bora, mm. maybe even like an Antigua or, or Granada somewhere down there. I, I, I like the way Alex is thinking here. If I'm a dignitary, I want to vacation this thing up. Can I change my answer? Can I go to Ecuador so they can take me to the Galapagos, but give me like special Galapagos access? There you go, Dave. Yeah, you can hang out with the giant tortoises Milk and the it. iguanas and everything else. Yeah, Prince Prince Dave is going to snuggle with a tortoise. Alex, Nazreen, thank you for this. Have a, have a great weekend, both of y'all. Uh, Princess Ramya, you don't get to go away just yet. What's coming up on Kelly and Ramya this afternoon when that hits the airwaves at 2 p.m. Eastern time? I don't think you should put Princess Ramya in my head because I'm going to start calling myself that on the show. <laughs> but we're talking on our app show with John Beeler. Uh, one of the things we're bringing up is Elon Musk wanting small monthly payment plans for X users. So we're going to roll our eyes about that one. Exactly. Uh, also, Mike Babcock, uh, this is news I think from last week, right, was fired before ever coaching a game for the Columbus uh, Blue Jackets at the NHL. And Brock Richardson really Richardson really wants to get his words out. So do I around that. <laughs> so we'll talk to him about that. And we had some great conversations at the balance community fair earlier this month, Dave, we got some nice um, footage and interviews and chats going with a bunch of different community leaders and uh, organizers. So we're going to play some of that information and conversation for you guys on the show. Ramya, I know you're not the biggest sports junkie in the world, but at the crux of that Mike Babcock story, he basically was asking players to give them their phones so they yep. so he could go through it. Could you imagine? Listen, we love our bosses, but could you imagine handing Kara and I your phone and being like, "Yeah, go wild over here, Kara." You take it. Yeah. yeah. Especially because of the responses apparently he was trying to give, you know, historically. I was like, "No, I'm not going to give you my phone." <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no question. No that. chance. Ramya, have an awesome show and a great weekend. I may I may be around the building uh, when you come in today, so hopefully we get a chance to uh, pass like ships in the night. And if I don't see you, enjoy your chips over the weekend. Oh, I'm going to eat so many chips, Ramya. You have no idea how many half-eaten bags of chips are on my counter right now because I've been snacking a lot this week. So we got to clean that up before I can buy new chips. Of course, of course. That's the rule. There's also a bag of two-bite brownies and some leftover ice cream in my freezer. Stop so like, it. that's going to happen. And I've had a real pizza craving for a few days. It's going to be a problem. Zero I'm, snacks. I'm coming in super bloated on Monday. I'm telling you this right now. Ramya, have a great weekend. <laughs> you do. Coming up next, the shortlist for the Writer's Trust Prize for nonfiction has been released. Karen McKay from the Center for Equitable Library Access will tell you about five titles that made the cut. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The Center for Equitable Library Access will be observing the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation on September the 30th. They have something notable planned. Karen McKay has the details. Karen is the communications manager at CELA. Hey, Karen, good morning. Good morning. So Canadians will be observing the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation on the 30th of this month. What is CELA doing to mark the day? Well, we're doing what we try and do all the time, which is share really important stories and, and works of literature with folks. So we've put together a blog post of some of the more recent additions to our collection that sort of speak to the topic of truth and reconciliation. Now, certainly people are encouraged to find that blog post on the day of and maybe find some new material. But there was one book in particular that's new to the collection that you wanted to make mention of here. It's True Reconciliation by former Cabinet Minister, Federal Cabinet Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould. Why is this book a must-read? Well, as, as you know, she's written some other books, but this one I think really gets to the heart of what we all need to do for the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. And she's said she's written this book to answer the question that she gets all the time, which is, how can I advance reconciliation? What can I do as an individual? And so her take on this is that folks just need to know how to get started, how to take the next step. And I, I think that that's a really important concept. She breaks it down in her book into three practices that we should all undertake to learn, to understand, and to act. And she gives us some ideas about how we can do that as individuals, in our communities, in our organizations, and what we can push our governments to do. Uh, and she comes to this topic with a really deep understanding and expertise about what's been effective in the past, what we're doing right right now what we're doing wrong and what we might need to do in the future that might be a bit different and what i love about this book is that there's a planning guide at the end of the book so it helps us take what we're reading and translate it into to real action mm. uh so I, I think that this is a really a, an excellent book to pick up if you're wanting to do a little bit of self-education around national day of truth and reconciliation so you mentioned that blog post. People can find that one online on the website, celalibrary.ca slash blog. That's C-E-L-A library.ca slash blog to find that post. And again, maybe learn a little bit more about that new book by Jody Wilson-Raybould called True Reconciliation. Karen, pivoting to something different here, as always, you like to bring featured titles and they've always got a theme. So the Writers' Trust of Canada has announced the shortlist for the Hillary Weston Prize for Nonfiction. The Writers' Trust has given out the nonfiction prize since 1997. I cannot believe how long ago that seems. Uh, this year, the winning author is going to receive $75,000 Canadian dollars, not Bitcoin, 75000 Canadian dollars. And the winners are going to be announced on November the 21st. So, Karen, you want to talk about a couple of these finalists, starting with My Road from Damascus by Jamal Saeed. Yeah, so this is a translated work. It was translated by Catherine Cobham, uh, and it's a memoir. Jamil Sahid arrived as uh, a refugee in Canada in 2016, but he spent the first 17 years of his life surrounded by his parents and his grandparents in the lush landscape of, of Syria. And he uh, talks about his, his time as a young man, his writing, because he was writing for different social and political um, 
organizations, he paints a really beautiful picture of his village life, of his young love affairs, of his rebellion as a young Marxist, and his evolution into a free thinker, and then the trouble that that led him to. So he ended up in, uh, in prison for three different occasions over a total of 12 years. And in each of those instances, he was held without any sort of formal charge and without any judicial process. So the, his book talks not only about his own personal uh, journey, but also the the change in his country from the 1950s right up to the time he escaped to Canada in 2016 with his family. Much of the book is is quite horrifying. It's heartbreaking. The, the time he spends as a political prisoner is really very harrowing. Uh, but he also talks about his family life. And so there's a real contrast between the brutality of his time in prison and the beauty of his home and his family life. And there are moments of deep humor and love and real hope in this book. It's an excellent book for this uh, this award. What about Ordinary Notes by Christina Sharp? So Christina Sharp is a professor of Black Studies at the York University, and this is a really inventive structure for a book. Um, it's compiled of 20, 248 brief notes that sort of gather meaning as we read them. Christina Sharp draws from personal and cultural artifacts, artworks, literary characters and passages, uh, her own memories and observations, and she sort of traces the persistence of racism through all of these different artifacts while she explores the different aspects of Black life. The, the notes are sometimes about art, about language, about beauty. Uh, they're sometimes about history or photography or literature. And she sort of weaves these together in something that's both personal and also infused with the present day realities and possible futures of Black uh, existence. Um, she really draws on the the tradition of writing and words from her parents. And she said that she uh, wanted to sort of speak to the indelible presence of her mother and also all of the things that she learned and the gift of language that her mother gave us. The book is a very interesting approach to, to sort of um, talking about what it's like to be a Black person in, in Canada or in the world these days. And it really gives us a different perspective on the individual topics, but also their collective weight and their impact of racism in general. Karen, what about Unbroken by Angela Starrett? So this is also an excellent book if you're talking about uh, truth and reconciliation. This is a debut book by Angela Starrett, and she uh, has been a, a writer about, um, an investigative journalist rather, about missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. So she she weaves her own personal experience in with some of the, the investigations that she's been involved in. As a teenager, she ended up on the streets in, in areas in BC and Western Canada that really were the the places where many women went uh, missing and murdered. And she acknowledges that, you know, sort of there, but for the grace of God go I, she acknowledges any of these women could have been her. So she it was steeped in the, the stories of her grandparents and her ancestors as a young child, but she was kicked out of her home. And so we sort of follow that journey uh, and understand that she, you know, she's voiceless and yet she comes to really have an important voice in the conversation about Indigenous life in Canada. Uh, it's it's a hopeful book in some ways, but it's also uh, quite startling with regards to some of the things that she presents about these missing and murdered women that, uh, you know, that's a real stain on the Canadian history. It's, it's, um, it's a heavy work, but also it's a really important work. Karen, I've got to hold you to about a minute on Ordinary Wonder Tales by Emily Urquhart. 
this is a really interesting collection of personal uh, essays. She's a journalist and a folklorist, and she sort of delves into the wonder and the sense of magic that can be found in our everyday life. The, the um, essays she writes about touch on very personal things, pregnancy, dementia, death and dying, but also really interesting non-personal things. So radioact radioactivity, cottagers, the plague, it really delves into the idea that if you look closely, you can find magic in every day. Karen, once again, about a minute here, Fire Weather by John Villiant. This is a really fantastic book about the Fort McMurray wildfire in 2016. It explores the really rapidly changing relationship between humans and fire. Um, as we know, the fire in, in Fort McMurray was devastating, uh, but it also highlights the, the issue of climate change and the um, the role that our um, wild or our oil sands rather play in in climate change, and it's uh, an interesting look at fire and how it's enabled us to do all the things that we've done, but also it's really out of our control. It's a really important book, book especially given the the wildfires that we've seen over the last year or two as well. Karen, every single time you and I get together, my reading list gets longer. I can't catch up, but I always appreciate your insight. Thank you for offering such great curation and guidance. All the best to you and the colleagues. Have a lovely weekend. Thanks, you too. That's Karen McKay, Communications Manager for the Centre for Equitable Library Access. You can follow Sela on Twitter at Sela Library, C-E-L-A Library, at Sela Library. And don't forget, selalibrary.ca slash blog if you want to learn more and find more about that post about writing related to truth and reconciliation. That's all the time there is for the show today. That's all the time there is for the show this week. Don't worry, things kick off again Monday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Alex Smythe will be part of the show. John Lepke is going to fill in for Amanda Shikarchi. Brock will be here. I'll demand that we talk about football. It's going to be a good time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. As we do at the end of every single week, let's roll those credits, gang. Host, Dave Brown. Co-host producer, Alex Smythe. Sports reporter, Brock Richardson. Contributors, Rami Amuthan and Nazreen Abdel-Majid. Senior show producer, Andrika Delanerol. Visual producer, Bruce Baclarian. Producers, Paul Daniel, Marianne Dion jones Production assistant, Kingsley Juco. Director, Anastasia Spalding-Stenhouse. Control Room Operators, Daniel Panamondo, Eliza Rocco, Parker Oxtoby. Manager of Operations, Kyle Harper. Manager of Live Production, Paula Deneen. Director of Content Development, Kara Nye. Vice President of Programming, John Melville. President and CEO, David Arrington. Give us your feedback, 1-866-509-4545. Copyright 2023, Accessible Media, Inc. NAMI Original Production. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.